Let's open up in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. I think uh, a great place to start. Uh, We're going to see some wonderful truths here in Exodus chapter 3. Never fear if you don't have your Bibles with you. Uh, We will pull uh, those words up on the screen. Uh, uh, It's a long enough uh, text that it'll be in two little chunks. So don't worry, you won't miss out on it. It'll be popping up there. But uh, while those with your Bibles are opening up, and I hope you do have them, and I hope you are opening up to Exodus chapter three, uh, I've got uh, um, a little game. How many Latin phrases will you know? Uh, let's see. We'll start uh, with the United States Marines phrase, uh, semper fidelis, semper fi. What does it mean? Maybe you said always faithful. I hope you did. That's what semper fidelis means, semper fi. Uh, how about bona fide? Or as we have anglicized it or in the English, bona fide, right? That's bona fide in good faith, bona fide. How about alibi? Or as we say in the English, alibi. I know we've got the lawyers. Where are y'all at? What's the alibi? right? This one was fun. Uh, What does it mean in Latin? Literally, other or elsewhere. Uh, I was elsewhere. That's my alibi. I don't think that would cut it in our court system, but you'll have to ask the lawyers uh, in the chat. They'll know. Uh, (laughs) What about one that has come up in the news? Uh, This is uh, uh, last year, quid pro quo. What does it mean though? What's quid pro quo mean? Uh, It's been said so many times. I feel like that it sounds weird almost when I say it out loud. This for that, right? It's an exchange, this for that. Uh, Many of you will know the five solas of the Reformation. That is one of uh, the the calls that uh, our denomination is founded on, is the five solas of the Reformation. What are they? Uh, Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone. Sola Fide, by faith alone. Sola Gratia, by grace alone, solus Christus, by Christ alone, and then soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory alone. Interesting. Here is one that I would wonder if you would know. It's more obscure, but it has deep and long-standing meaning for our denomination. I have to look down for this one too. Don't worry if you don't know it. Arden said Varines. Arden said Varines. What does it mean? Burning, but flourishing. The ARP Church, it's a Scots Presbyterian church, alongside of of her sister, the Irish Presbyterian Church, dating uh, hundreds and hundreds of years back. Uh, on their seals, on their crests, on their information, on everything around them, they would have the burning bush with that phrase under it. Arden said, Varines, burning but flourishing. The burning bush is where we turn our eyes this morning uh, to in Scripture, in Exodus chapter 3, a very famous Bible text. Many people uh, even those who do not believe or those who feel like maybe they're not Bible scholars or something like that, they are at least kind of know about the burning bush or think about it. But uh, what, what does it mean? What, 
What are we supposed to see here? What, what's happening? Uh, well, I think that this main point will guide us through this burning bush scenario that Moses finds himself in because at first it can be a bit mind-boggling. But as we march through, my prayer is that God will reveal to you exactly what he was revealing to Moses, which is this. God does the work of salvation. God does the work of salvation and God alone. Let's pray for the reading of God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. You have given it to us for your purposes of salvation and for your glory. May we glorify you as you work in us. God, after the reading of this word, by your Holy Spirit, after the proclamation of this word, I pray that we will be different, never able to be the same, because you have changed us from good to better, from sinful to saved. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. We're going to read 12 verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to uh, Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The grass withers, the flowers do fade. But the word of the Lord stands. It remains forever. There is power here in the word. May God bless us as we see what he has for us here today. In this moment, a living and breathing word for us. Our main point, remember it. God does the work of salvation. Three points will get us there, okay? The first is that God prepares his people for salvation through revelation and situation. All right, 
God prepares us, and we see it in Revelation and Situation. Number two, not only does God prepare, God provides the means of salvation. Number three, not only does God prepare and provide, God preserves his people in salvation when he begins the work. We're going to see this in the scripture this morning. First, God prepares his people for salvation through revelation and situation. You see this in verses one through eight. Let's take revelation first, verses one through six, okay? This is where God is revealing himself and he's preparing his people for salvation. Remember, Uh, He does it in several ways. I think the most obvious is that burning bush, all right? Uh, The second way is that this burning bush is using personal and understandable speech. God is revealing himself and we can understand him. Uh, Number three, uh, we see history. Now, let's go through these three things. As God is uh, preparing his people for salvation, he's doing it as we see here in these three ways. We've got this burning bush, uh, we've got uh, this understandable speech, and we've got this history. Uh, The burning bush, uh, uh, burning but flourishing. How does that work? Uh, God is in absolute control. Uh, You see elsewhere in scripture that God is an all-consuming fire. Uh, He is uh, above all and so powerful that to get near him, you would think, well, how can he control that power? He is powerful enough to always be in control of his power. You see that where God says, hey, Moses, stop, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Uh, The purpose of that was to show a humility from Moses that he is coming in to a place that is uh, not like this world. Uh, It's an otherworldly place where God is choosing to reside for a moment, uh, tangibly in this burning bush. And yet God is in such control that a sinful man, remember a murderer, a murdering man like Moses can come into the presence of God and not be totally destroyed. God is in control. The bush itself is not lighting up and gone. Have you ever lit a dry bush on fire? Uh, Have you ever seen uh, in the woods a a fire happening? I have some family uh, from uh, Pennsylvania that are uh, worshiping with us this morning. Several of of my cousins and my family uh, find themselves in certain service jobs, uh, some of that being fighting fires. Uh, And there is a story in our family uh, where those forest fires can light up so quickly and can sweep around you so fast that you think it's all over. What in the world? Everything has been consumed. And yet here in this fire, God is in such control of his own power that there is no consuming. There is only a continuation. God is revealing himself in power, a fire that you cannot touch lest you be burned and yet in total control. There is revelation there that we must see. But not only do we see this total control of power and majesty, we see uh, understandable speech uh, and, and a personableness uh, where God himself is speaking the name of Moses. Moses, Moses, come over here. <laughs> Think, uh, because of the extraordinary position that we find ourselves in, in the beginning verses of Exodus 3, we can sometimes uh, walk over the part where God himself the all-powerful one, the one who is totally other, the one who is outside of time, the one who created time, the one who created all things is now speaking a speech 
that is understandable by creation. Uh, that in and of itself is so miraculous that we should stop and ponder on it for the rest of the day. But there's more. Uh, and so this moment where uh, God himself is choosing in grace and mercy to reveal himself in an understandable way should give us pause. But there's more. Uh, that's where we need to stick out there with the personableness, with the speech. Uh, God does not need to speak to us. God has no uh, uh, obligation to engage with us, but nevertheless, here is a burning bush calling out to Moses to come here and speak with him. What mercy and grace do we see even there? But there's more. Because Moses is taking off his shoes. He's kind of near this burning bush and he's saying, whoa, this is crazy. And yet, uh, what made him hide his face? I hope that you saw that. It's easy again to, to march over it. And verse 6, um, uh, at the very end, what happens? Uh, Moses was afraid to look at God. Moses hid his face. Why? Uh, why didn't he hide his face when the bush started talking? Why didn't he hide his face when the bush said, hey, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground? Why did he hide his face when uh, God said that he is the God of his father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob? Because this is the God who wrestled Jacob into submission and who touched his hip bone and made him limp for the rest of his days and renamed him Israel. This is the God of Isaac whose name was Fear. That's what Isaac called God, fear, capital F, terror, dread, because that is what the enemies of God felt when Isaac walked up, was the dread of God himself who was blessing this man. This is the God who spoke and called Abraham out of the wilderness. This is the God who spoke with Abraham and told him to take his son to the mountain and sacrifice him and yet provided on that mountain. This is that God that is so full of history in the people that Moses realized, oh, wait a second, this is serious business. And so he hides his face because he knows what could happen if he is frivolous with his Lord. God is preparing his people for salvation through pure revelation. But that's not the only way God is preparing his people. He is also preparing his people for salvation through situation, which we see in verses 7 and 8. The people of Israel are severely enslaved. The situation, uh, by the way, the killing of the boys, this is still happening, uh, the intense and immense physical labor meant to break them, uh, these things are happening, severe enslavement, no way out. This is certainly happening by the hands of the Egyptians, and at the same time, this situation is certainly happening by the hand of God. God is placing this situation before his people for a reason. He is totally removing all things worldly, including the power to save themselves. I hope you were with me last Sunday where uh, we saw that God heard the cry of the people and that cry was a cry of humility, right? Because finally, after many days, the oppression was so heavy and unbearable that they cried out to God in desperation. God 
placed that situation in preparation for their salvation. That was why that happened. And it happens in your life too. God removes those worldly things that blind us and enslave us and bind us that we might open our eyes and cry out to him for salvation. It is the preparation that God has. And it's a, it's a twin work of revelation and situation. It happens here and it is happening or has happened in your life. Guaranteed. It is how God prepares his people time and time again. But we must continue forward. Having seen that God prepares his people for salvation through revelation and situation, we also see quite clearly that God is the one to provide the means for salvation. Verses 9 and 10. It's important to see here, and and I want to remind y'all that God is working for our salvation. Uh, remember, that's the main point. God does the work of salvation. Uh, God is the one preparing. We see that in verses 1 through 8. Uh, God is the one providing. We see that here in verses 9 and 10. And God is the one preserving. We see that in 11 and 12. Okay, he, He's doing it all. Here, a cry has gone up from the people to God. God has heard it, and now God is formally acting, and he does so by calling and sending Moses the prophet. That's his means of salvation uh, for the people of God. This, uh, this moment, uh, at this time, Moses is revealing the Lord Jesus Christ, who God sent to save his people, right? Uh, God the Father sent God the Son, that is Jesus, to this earth to save the people. Uh, God is now sending his prophet Moses to the people of God to save them on this earth, all right? So Moses is revealing Jesus, and here's the question. When did Moses most reveal Jesus. I think there's an argument for Exodus chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Uh, I think that in this moment, uh, Moses may be revealing Jesus the most. Think about this. Uh, Moses got the full revelation of the law of God. He had the two tablets. Uh, And remember, the law of God is not rule first. The law of God is God's character first. Moses got God's character and was able to show the people God's character. Uh, Moses was able to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ through the tabernacle, through the sacrificial system, through the priests, through the law, through the miracles, through the revelation, through the song and the praise, uh, through the ten plagues, through the uh, parting of the Red Sea, through the manna from heaven. All of these things uh, Moses was able to do and reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here, in this still, small, obscure moment, I believe that Moses is revealing Jesus Christ quite profoundly. Uh, Moses uh, is a murdering, ex-noble, not cared for because he was never really a noble anyway, nobody. His own family, they don't really know where he's at. Uh, and, and, and now he is not only a nobody, but he is a nobody many miles into the wilderness where he does have a wife and child and they care for him and his father-in-law cares for him. But outside of their circle, nobody knows or cares about Moses. Moses is obscure. He's a nobody. The people of God don't care about him. The enemies of God don't care about him. Uh, Jesus Christ, on the night 
that he was born came into the world uh, in a cattle stall in a barn uh, where the animals were. Uh, his mother knew about him. His father knew about him. Some shepherds, by the way, shepherds that nobody cared about either knew about him. Nobody cared about Jesus. Not the people of God, not the enemies of God. Obscure, Jesus born into the world, God sending his son. The most momentous moment of salvation that we see is as God himself enters the scene and takes on flesh, obscure. Nobody knows or cares. God calling one of the humblest men ever to exist on this planet. Moses himself, uh, the prophet who was so powerful to say or to reveal the salvation of Jesus that he had privilege to show all of the systems that would be put in place for centuries upon centuries. Obscure. Nobody cares except for God, who is providing the means for salvation. Whether we see it or not, God is not only preparing, God is providing. He is the providing one. And he is doing it for you. Even if you cannot see it, it is happening, guaranteed, from the scripture, which is his word declared. But there's more. God sets us up for salvation. God provides that salvation. And God preserves his people in salvation. This is verses 11 and 12. In effect, this isn't a long point. In effect, Moses says, after God calls him, he says, How's this going to happen? Who am I? How's this going to happen? And then God answers very simply, I'll be with you. That's how it's going to happen. I will be with you. It's that simple. What God begins, God finishes. Full stop, period. When God begins the process of preparing you for salvation, the preservation of your soul is the only conclusion offered. God does the work of salvation and he does it fully. He does it completely. It's just like Jesus says on the cross. It is finished. What he means by that is it is complete. Jesus had set on about a work when he came into this world. And on the cross, as he is receiving the full wrath of God on your behalf, what does he say? It's finished. It's complete. It's done. I have completed it. I have preserved my people, is what he's saying. God does it. He does the work of salvation in our lives. But as is often the case, we narrow our vision in to that singular point where we cried out in belief rather than recognizing the full reality that God has put before us. Preparation, provision, preservation in all of those things. God is there. And God is working even now for you right now in that your whole life, every single moment God has been preparing through revelation and situation, every single moment as you see that your Lord and Savior Jesus went to the cross and died for you, you see that provision every moment as you think, how in the world am I still here, sinful as I am, still believing God is preserving you, dear Christian. 
And now, think about the offensiveness of this. Even if you tried to not believe, if you are God's, he will bring you to completion. This provides comfort to those who have prodigal children. This provides comfort to those who did prodigal themselves or maybe who are right now, even when you're sitting in the pew. God is working and providing those means. He is working and setting up the situations to reveal that he will preserve his people. When we confess in the Lord Jesus Christ truly, the Lord has us and he will not let us go. Preparation provision, preservation. Our God is powerful to save. Can you believe it? We see it in a bush. That is crazy to say and yet true. God is so good. He reveals himself. He sets us up. He provides. And not only does he provide, he latches on and does not let us go. This is a crazy season. It's crazy. It, there's no way about it. And yet, our God is working. Be blessed by the knowledge of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for the good word here that you are working in the fullness of our salvation. We see it uh, in this, uh, um, this history of your people where Moses is called and you reveal yourself in the burning bush. We see you fully as you reveal yourself to us. God, thank you for your power and your grace and your mercy and your justice. Lord, may we continue to be faithful to you. And yet we know that even our faith is given to us by you. Thank you, God, for who you are and for what you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.